when I woke up this morning uh, and came down for an early breakfast, about 5.30 or so, uh, <laughs> I looked out, and there was a tremendous amount of fog up where we are uh, in East Vancouver. And I thought to myself, oh, no, people will be stuck and they won't come, uh, and it'll be postponed or something else. And I thought, I had a consoling thought that fog never ups never impeded the legal mind. <laughs> they cut through it, you know, or they, they breathe it in. Okay, so this is, uh, whoops, we've already lost it, have we? Uh, there it is. Okay, every so often I'll have to touch it with my finger. Um, this is the topic, um, and uh, if I look back in my neatly organized uh, digital files, I think I have four, five, or six learners' exchanges, not all of them on legal questions, but uh, I think this is the fourth or fifth time I've been talking since uh, 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 2013 on the question of uh, Trinity Western University's quest to establish law faculty. Now, they've been working on this idea for something like 20 years, according to their uh, what they've said, uh, but it was only in uh, 2012 that the proposal uh, took shape to establish a law faculty um, under the necessary uh, legal um, agreements, provincial, uh, that would be a Christian uh, law faculty, uh, but would attract uh, a faculty and students that would be uh, at least above what other uh, law faculties could offer. Um, and uh, so since that uh, initial decision and uh, pro project, uh, this uh, this idea, this proposal has been in and out of the law societies in various provinces in Canada. Uh, it's gone before the courts, uh, particularly uh, in Nova Scotia, Ontario, and British Columbia. Um, and it ultimately went uh, to the Supreme Court in 2017 and uh, uh, the uh, Leave to appeal was granted to the various parties, uh, uh, and uh, the decision was rendered, or the judgment was rendered by the Supreme Court uh, the 15th of June, uh, 2018. So that's what I want to talk about today. And in short, I'm going to be arguing, and I think I'll have a fairly sympathetic uh, reception here, that this uh, is very, very negative for the cause of religious freedom in Canada. It's not a disaster. It's not a tragedy, but it's a major setback. And uh, later on, we can talk about what uh, the religious communities in Canada do when faced with uh, this type of a decision. It was, uh, 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 you know, wasn't a close decision, seven to two in terms of the majority. Um, but uh, this has been a very, very important uh, decision. Now, as I've been uh, addressing uh, the issues relating to law politics, uh, this, as I've 
said each time I've uh, been at Learners Exchange, I'm approaching this in the context of a larger uh, project that I've been working on um, for a couple of decades now, but I hope and pray that it's going to come into a book in the not-too-distant uh, future. But it's a project uh, on law, religion, politics, jurisprudence in Canada since the Second World War. Um, and so I'm putting this case in context. Let me say that uh, in working on this project, on which I've kept publishing uh, what are effectively uh, um, chapters uh, on aspects of the, the major turning points, and, and, and uh, I've been doing this over the last couple of decades too, but uh, now I'm working on uh, tuning these up, adding new perspective, and filling it in up until um, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is adopted in 1982 under the Trudeau government, and uh, looking at jurisprudence uh, uh, court cases on the major issues of religion uh, in Canadian culture, Canadian law, um, in the post-charter uh, period. So uh, just by way of a bit of review, I'm going to, uh, in a sense, speak very quickly and briefly uh, about uh, how I in history see the relationship uh, uh, between uh, law and politics and the major transitional points. Let me also put a plug in for what I'm doing. Uh, although there is increasing uh, amount of uh, legal commentary and, of course, all of the case uh, uh, evidence, including this most important of the, uh, the judgments here, um, as far as I can see, no one else uh, in law faculties or in history uh, departments is looking at it from the top in terms of the major transitions in the evolving nature of Canadian uh, pluralism. I think that's the best uh, term I can do to encompass uh, the legal, the political um, aspects uh, of, of all of this. So... Uh, if you can remember what I've been <laughs> saying over the last few years in addressing this topic, what I see is the major transitions from uh, basically the longer uh, uh, legal trend, uh, tradition that we have in Canada since and even before Confederation, um, which is, uh, as it's manifestly called by the time of uh, the Second World War, um, a Christian democracy where liberal values, liberal ideology, and uh, religious Protestant and Catholic uh, uh, Christianity served to uh, <laughs> legitimate government and in, in many ways morally direct government and again uh, chosen and intentionally um, uh, you have a, a Protestant and Catholic uh, type of denominational pluralism. That's been the tradition. And that's there going strong in, uh, in the immediate post-World War II period. It's worth saying also that when you have major crises in history, in Canadian history, and the two major crises are uh, war and economic depression, uh, governments very intentionally seek 
support from the churches, and the, the term that sociologists use, which is very important in this, is they seek legitimation, and the churches generally have been very happy to supply that uh, legitimation and uh, foundational uh, support then. So you've got the, uh, this sense of a Christian democracy with a positive, cooperative uh, relationship between church and state, between religion and liberal values, both supporting and, in a, in a sense, critiquing discipline, disciplining each other. Uh, but it's a cooperative and, I think, very fruitful relationship, uh, uh, and it endured for a long time in Canadian uh, history, including our, our jurisprudence. It's gone now, and that's where we're going to be getting to today. So after uh, the, this traditional period of Christian democracy, you shift slightly in the 1950s to what we can call uh, no longer an exclusively uh, Christian pluralism or denominational pluralism, uh, but by the time uh, the Diefenbaker government is attempting to uh, legislate the uh, Canadian Bill of Rights, the Jewish community in Canada, very intentionally in the part of the government, and not just conservatives but uh, liberals uh, at that time, want to draw them into a religious pluralism. And this is intentional, and I've got all the evidence on all of this, and I talked to Davy Fulton, Justice Minister under Diefenbaker. He was a not-too-distant neighbor in uh, Shaughnessy at that time. So this is what I argue here. From the late 50s and through the early 60s, you have the switch to a religious pluralism, and the term pluralism is becoming uh, used in uh, legal parlance and in popular uh, discourse too. Now, uh, through the early uh, 60s and mid-60s, uh, you have what I would argue is a from a religious pluralism to a liberal Pluralism, where uh, governments uh, and liberal uh, uh, ideology is hospitable to the public functions of religion. And the best example of this is uh, the centennial celebrations and all the religious pavilions and uh, the part of celebrating Canada uh, includes very positively. Pearson was very strong on this, Lester Pearson, the prime minister at that time, as we celebrated uh, Canada's 100th uh, anniversary. Um, it, interestingly, just by I won't go into this, but by the time we get to the 150th celebrations, very recently, just a couple of years ago, uh, religion plays zero role uh, effectively in the public celebrations. Okay, um, after this, we go into the late 60s and 70s, and uh, you have a much more intentionally an ideological liberalism. Um, uh, and a more secular type of pluralism uh, that is, in a sense, directed by the powerful leadership uh, of uh, Pierre uh, Trudeau and his quest in dealing with religious, sorry, with political crises in Canada, particularly on uh, the quest for Quebec independence and French-Canadian nationalism and things like this. Um, Trudeau sees uh, a shift in Canadian 
jurisprudence and political theory to bringing in uh, a constitutional entrenched charter of rights and freedoms. This is distinct from the Diefenbaker Canadian Bill of Rights, which was simply had legislative status at the federal level. So we have that transitional moment then, 1982, when uh, after much legal and political <coughs> maneuvering, uh, Trudeau's success uh, uh, is the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So that's fine, and in that Charter of Rights and Freedoms, of course, along with the other foundational freedoms, right at the top of Section 2, Section 2A, is uh, uh, religious freedom. So freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, all those things are there for Canadians uh, as individuals throughout, uh, throughout the country. Okay, now... Tracing then the jurisprudence from 1982 on, which we can't do in any detail today, we see increasingly uh, the nature of pluralism going from a neutral state, which you have effectively by 1982, uh, where the state is neutral on religions, neutral on major uh, ideologies, uh, as long as individuals or institutions, groups are lawful, they have every right to express, to propagate, to campaign, to organize for whatever value system they wish to uh, embrace, including uh, religion. Now, you have a neutral state on all of that. We don't have, as in the, the uh, American Constitution, the separation of church and state, but effectively we are implementing that type of an idea, not just separation, but strict separation, and increasingly this becomes more secularist as an ideology or part of liberal ideology itself, from secular to secularist. There's articles on the major distinctions on that key, uh, key term. But increasingly we see that public opinion, elite opinion, media opinion, academic opinion, uh, legal opinion courts become increasingly uh, hostile to religious freedoms as distinct from being neutral on all of this. So that, I would argue, is the position we are in uh, today, where a dogmatic, secularist, pluralist state is uh, being put in place, hostile to the public functions of religion and insisting increasingly on their privatization. You can believe whatever you want in whatever corner you live in. <laughs> Um, you can go to church on Sunday and believe whatever you want as long as you're lawful, but you do not have a uh, right to uh, express or um, advance your positions in the public uh, sphere. Keep it private. Okay. Now, let's look at, and by the way, here, i better get this up. I'm going to follow this again. I have a, another my notes I may put up and I want to do some quotations. But whenever anyone has a question, please uh, jump up and ask it. We will have discussion at the end of all of this, uh, too. 
Okay, background. I've mentioned Trinity Western's quest uh, to establish a law faculty to train lawyers and particularly those that adhered and wished to see their practice of law as a Christian uh, calling. The problem here was the community covenant, which Trinity Western uh, insisted it was mandatory, not voluntary, but their staff, their faculty, and all their students had to subscribe uh, to this uh, covenant. Now, this had already got them in a lot of trouble, uh, most notably with the British Columbia uh, uh, College of Teachers, when Trinity Western desired uh, to establish their own uh, training uh, program for teachers. Uh, Previously, they had initial programs, but then they had to go to Simon Fraser to be finished off and get uh, certification. Now, when they wanted to establish the full training program located at Trinity Western, they were challenged by the BC Teachers College, long, long uh, uh, legal struggle here, but in 2013, I think it was, if I remember, remember correctly, the uh, uh, court, um, the Supreme Court of Canada, uh, sided with Trinity Western on the basis of religious freedoms and on the differentiation, very important, between what you believe and how you behave. And because there was no evidence, and there never has been any evidence, that those that are trained at Trinity Western uh, violate uh, the, uh, you know, the just human rights of others, uh, in that they are homophobic or discriminatory, no evidence whatsoever found in the BC Teachers College case, nor in the present uh, uh, case that we're looking today. And therefore, the court argued they had every right under uh, Section 2 to establish their own uh, teachers' uh, uh, training program. And it's worked well. Uh, It's still operating very successfully, from what uh, I can understand. However, given uh, what's happened with uh, the uh, judgment on uh, the proposed law faculty, it would not be much of a surprise if the College of Teachers come back again now with uh, the precedent, this precedent, and say, well, same rules apply, and uh, the court has evolved since 2013, and uh, therefore uh, this training program is uh, ultra-virus and to be proscribed then. Okay, initially Trinity Western was uh, quite optimistic. I I know several of uh, uh, leaders at Trinity Western and several of the faculty, and uh, uh, they were understandably uh, quite optimistic that they could proceed, given the precedent on the teacher's college, that uh, uh, they could proceed to establish a successful uh, law faculty. They had lots of people that wanted to teach there at a high level, and they uh, certainly thought they would have a good uh, um, uh, market to draw from in terms of uh, training uh, uh, students then. There was a high demand uh, for all of this. Also, they went through all the hoops. Uh, They uh, got clearance from uh, the uh, law societies, 
what, what is it called? It was the Law Federation, the Federation of Canadian Law Societies, which represented all of the law societies across Canada and was established fairly reasonably uh, with the principal objective of making common standards for recognition, accreditation, uh, um, examinations, and all of that of uh, law uh, students. They looked at what Trinity Western was doing and in terms of the quality of students, the quality of the program, uh, that's what they were mandated to uh, judge, and they said, yes, uh, we support this. This is a, a reasonable thing to do. Um, with that, the BC Minister of Advanced Education uh, also gave uh, support to this. That's when things hit the fan. Uh, the law societies in several provinces, notably Ontario and in BC and uh, uh, in Nova Scotia, Dalhousie, um, uh, there was opposition to granting this new uh, accreditation uh, to this new uh, law faculty. What was the opposition based on? Uh, well, it would be a grand study to uh, try and decrypt the, the real roots of the opposition, but the manifest uh, uh, point was the discrimination against those students that were LGBTQ, uh, whose rights to equality would be infringed by coercively or having to uh, sign uh, the community covenant. And the heart of the issue there was uh, its proscription of sexual intimacy between uh, anybody except heterosexual married couples. Okay, that sent... Uh, uh, the LGBT community and their supporters, right, you know, uh, this was major opposition. And one can understand, uh, given their values, what the opposition is here and how they have been extremely successful in mobilizing uh, political and public support for their position, but not least uh, uh, in law faculties, as uh, the charter values have come to uh, be the foundation for Canadian jurisprudence. Okay, so uh, here we have the beginning of a major uh, legal uh, discourse. And uh, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a historian, uh, but I've had to become, in, in a sense, uh, appraised of legal terminology and how the courts and uh, the legal professionals uh, and the judges function in these cases. Now, it, there were several cases, and I can't go into the details of all of them, but the lines pretty much became clear um, early on. The major disputes were in BC, uh, the home of this proposal, in Ontario, the Law Society of Upper Canada, now called the Law Society of Ontario, and uh, at, at Dalhousie then. And uh, what had happened before it went to the Supreme Court was that the uh, law societies uh, um, uh, uh, adopted a charter value uh, case that emphasized uh, Section 15 uh, of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is the equality uh, 
section, and which has been the most controversial of all the sections of uh, uh, the history of uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And the supporters of Trinity Western uh, emphasized the section 2 to a the right to um, religious freedoms. The law societies uh, that were hostile to this, BC, uh, Nova Scotia, and uh, Ontario, um, uh, 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 were challenged by Trinity Western, and uh, Trinity Western did fairly well in the provincial courts going up to, you know, appeal courts, the rest of it. Uh, uh, Nova Scotia, I talked about the Nova Scotia uh, appeal, uh, which supported Trinity Western's rights. Um, and then uh, the BC uh, Court of Appeal uh, was the latest of uh, the provincial uh, reviews of all of this and full support for Trinity Western um, uh, in establishing lawfully uh, their, their faculty here. I think it was a unanimous five to nothing judgment from uh, the BC Court of Appeal. Well, okay, it didn't stop there. This was big enough that it uh, went to the Supreme Court of Canada and the Supreme Court of Canada granted leave uh, for um, appeal. That was in 2017 and they had intensive hearings once everybody got mobilized. Um, and then the ruling of the 15th of June, uh, 2018. Um, okay, what are the issues here? They're, you know, you can figure these out, uh, and uh, they become clear, and, and uh, uh, the uh, various uh, um, positions taken by law societies and uh, the positions and rulings of the courts have served, and I think this is very, very important for all of us, we've got a court system that can proceed freely uh, and can articulate and clarify what the issues are, and then they rule. They may be wrong in all of this. I think they're wrong. A good number of lawyers think they're wrong, but it has been done peacefully, and that is something very precious um, in a democracy uh, like uh, Canada. Okay, the issues. First, the competence of law societies under their uh, legislative um, mandates or statutory mandates, as they're called, um, to rule on the policies and practices of private institutions like Trinity Western. Private institutions in Canada um, are not covered under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. This is a major misapprehension. Um, the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms was manifestly, clearly designed to limit the scope of the state of political institutions particularly not to be extended to private spheres where people would have freedoms as individuals and a freedom of association, freedom of expression, and all those things. Trinity Western is a private institution, manifestly religious, evangelical. Apparently, I looked this up, I didn't know this, but this is the um, evangelical, what's the name of their actual church? The, 
Evangelical Free Church. Yes, that's right. Evangelical Free Church. Now, what is this? I, I didn't know, but uh, uh, it is apparently a bunch of dissident Lutherans to start with. <laughs> How's that? Joe? I'm interested in your use of prizes. Uh, and this is a, an honest question. I do not know. Does Trinity Western take no, that's a, a key thing I was going to say, but I'm glad Sorry you're... Sorry Yeah, okay. No, the, they indeed do very well on endowments. They charge very high student fees. They've got more students that they can handle. And since these challenges, their fundraising, from what they tell me, has been quite amazing. <laughs> uh, one of my old friends, uh, Robert Birkinshaw, Bob Birkinshaw is a graduate of uh, the history department where I taught for over 40 years. And he is, uh, I don't know what he is now, even he's probably getting close to retirement himself. But he was the dean of arts at, uh, at one stage. And he uh, told me, he says, George, we get more funds at out of these disputes than anything else. It, it, it makes, it, it's humorous uh, in a way, but of course it's, it's deep down very serious as to what they do with the funds um, uh, then. Okay, you have this first question, the competence of uh, uh, the law societies to be the gatekeepers uh, uh, for a private institution then. Um, Secondly, and uh, the deep issue really is um, uh, the charter rights that are in conflict. On the one hand, the right to freedom of religion. On the other hand, equality rights to freedom from discrimination. Um, so Trinity Western and its supporting interviews, uh, sorry, inter interveners argued that Section 2A of the Charter gave the religious right to establish a law school and to require adhesion to the covenant, the community covenant, for admission. That the refusal of the provincial law societies to admit Trinity Western graduates, which of course killed her, uh, if you can't get admitted to the bar in any provincial or major provincial like BC, uh, there's no use of even trying to, you know, put up a law faculty where, no, where you have nowhere to go. Um, okay, so the argument here is um, that the refusal of the law societies to admit or accredit graduates from the Trinity Western University law faculty was beyond their legal statutory mandates, and that such a prescription was itself discriminatory against evangelical Christians or any kind of uh, uh, conservative, traditional, uh, not just Christians, but other religions as well, discriminatory, and also it impeded the public interest in promoting diversity and democratic ideals. Okay, so that's the principal argument that is put forward by uh, Trinity Western, its legal, um, very skilled legal advocates and uh, it, its uh, supporting interveners here. It's a massive long list of interventions and what are called factums as they 
put their case in these clear terms, um, and uh, then the judges have to decide how they're going to uh, respond. Now, let me just pause here. We're going to get to uh, the law societies and their supporters and interveners as well. But who is there as uh, granted permission by the court to submit their facts and, and appear before the court as interveners in support of uh, Trinity Western here. I've listed the uh, what I think are the more important ones, and there's uh, a long list of people that were given this uh, right, but uh, first and foremost, I would say the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, well-prepared, well-briefed, uh, and on top of all of this, and very practiced in this area, not just in terms of the law faculty. We had a whole series of cases which impinge upon religious freedom in recent history. The Canadian Council of Catholic Bishops. Here again you see, and there's, there's also the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Vancouver, National Coalition of Catholic Trustees Association. The Seventh-day Adventists were there too. Um, but uh, here we see an interesting phenomenon that has become increasingly important, and that is the convergence of Catholics and evangelical Protestants uh, in Canada. It is noteworthy uh, that the United Church of Canada did not appear to champion the rights of Trinity Western, but indeed appeared uh, on the other side of this, uh, uh, this case here. Aside, uh, the Catholics, the Seventh-day Adventists... Uh, and uh, the United Church are the, uh, the three religious organizations uh, that appear. Uh, okay. Uh, another really interesting thing uh, in terms of shifting jurisprudence here, the BC Civil Liberties Association. Generally, the Civil Liberties Association at the national and provincial levels has supported unpopular, uh, irritating uh, rights to religious freedoms of groups that don't belong to them generally, but in all fairness and honesty, they have supported the rights to freedom of assembly and expression and uh, opposed attempts to proscribe these freedoms in Canadian society. They came out to start with in favor uh, supportive of Trinity Western uh, University's uh, uh, project for a law faculty. They had a, a debilitating fight from what I understand. It went on for months and months and months and months. Votes here, votes there, and finally they reversed their initial decision and uh, supported the proscription uh, of this religious right, giving uh, the equality rights, uh, um, uh, their support uh, then. And this, uh, interestingly, it was announced, I read up on their minutes and everything else, the president of the BC Civil Liberties Association identifies himself as queer. One would think he would have been on the side of equality rights. No, he wasn't. He was on the side of Trinity Western. Strange bedfellows uh, and surprises in all of this. Now, if we look at the, uh, the, uh, the side, the law society's case and their supporting interveners, they argued that their statutory mandate authorized them, indeed required them, to prescribe Trinity Western U uh, University students from admission to bar associations on the ground 
grounds that uh, the covenant presented discrimination against LGBTQ students seeking admission, although there weren't too many of these from what we understand, thereby violating their equality rights set out in section 15, subsection 1 of the charter, and that non-accreditation of this proposed law school was justified in the public interest in promoting non-discrimination, equality, and diversity. Okay, diversity, but not for evangelical Christians, as it turns out. You know, this is the, the deep contradiction here. And who were the principal interveners here? The Canadian Bar Association, the Advocate Society, the British Columbia Humanist Association, the Canadian Secularist Alliance, and I've mentioned the BC uh, Liberties Association, the Canadian Association of University Teachers, so much for freedom of expression and freedom of religion, and of course the BC LGBTQ Coalition, Egal Canada Human Rights Trust, uh, the Lesbians, Gays, Bisexual, and Trans People of the University of Toronto, um, and the United Church of Canada. Okay, and all of that. Now, the rule as of June the 15th, uh, much anticipated, and uh, uh, I think Trinity Western University students out in BC were all watching all of this on webcast. Uh, must have been quite uh, uh, exciting and traumatizing, ultimately. Um, the Supreme Court of Canada, with a majority of seven to two, argued that the Law Societies, BC and Ontario, functioned as public actors. There's no uh, uh, problem with that. Uh, they were clearly public actors under their statutory mandates. And they were therefore subject to the rights of the Charter. Um, and the, uh, uh, the Charter and, and this is important to us, an extension, the Charter, the rights of the Charter and Charter values. And the Charter values, which they argued, underlay and gave meaning to uh, the specific Charter rights that were uh, spelled out. Trinity Western Union, uh, sorry, Trinity Western University was accorded no uh, specific <coughs> corporate standing institutional standing or uh, protection. It, now, this uh, is important because the uh, jurisprudence uh, wants to focus much more on individual rights, and the Trinity Western University com uh, community has individual rights, but establishing corporate rights is uh, uh, another thing, and they were not to uh, uh, enjoy these rights in law. Functioning as a, pri a private religious institution, Trinity Western was free to do anything lawful, including establish a law faculty if they wanted to do this. Of course, it would be insane to do it under these circumstances, but they're free to do this. For the majority, the question the court had to answer is whether the law society's decisions not to accredit Trinity uh, Western's proposed law school, whether the uh, um, decisions were reasonable. Uh, reasonable is the center, central issue here. They said 
that they were reasonable. The court said they were reasonable. To be considered reasonable, the decisions had to strike a proportionate balance between the religious rights of the Trinity Western University community and the law society's objectives to protect the public interest. For the majority, the public interest included promoting equality by ensuring equal access to the legal profession, supporting diversity within the bar, or the bars, provincial bars, and preventing harm to LGBTQ law students. Neither the law societies, BC or Ontario, was stopping anyone from following his or her religious beliefs, including following the covenant at Trinity Western if he or she wanted to. No prescription, then, they're arguing on uh, belief. They only prevented Trinity Western Union from enforcing their beliefs on other members of the law school community. Because of this, the majority said the decisions did not seriously limit anyone's religious freedoms. The terms of the covenant were not essential to studying law in a religious context. Since the covenant was mandatory for students and Trinity Western University was at that stage unwilling to amend or drop the covenant, the choice for the law societies was binary, either to accept and accredit or not to accredit. A compromise did not seem uh, possible. It was suggested in the discourse from the law societies, but uh, this was not acceptable uh, from anything that came back from Trinity Western. This was at the heart of their belief and practice as a evangelical Christian community. As the benefits of protecting the public interest were important and the limitations on religious rights were minor, these were the, that's the, one of the terms that was used, the majority of the court said that both law societies' decisions reflected a proportional balance and were therefore reasonable. And therefore they awarded in favor of uh, the case from uh, the law societies then. Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin, this was her last case before she retired, um, while recording her opinion that the limitation of Trinity Western University's religious freedoms were serious, not minor, not insubstantial, they were serious, they were major, they were substantial, she nevertheless joined the majority ruling since, as she put it, accrediting uh, the Trinity Western University law faculty would mean approving discrimination. So equality rights in her thinking still trumped uh, religious freedom rights. But now the two dissenting judges, uh, uh, they were Justice Cote and uh, Brown. I don't know anything about uh, their religious backgrounds or anything. And uh, what they argue, they argue from a type of liberalism, which I think is much more within the tradition of Canadian jurisprudence. But anyway, they would have ruled in support of Trinity Western uh, University's uh, proposal. They argued that the statutory laws that gave the law societies their powers 
limited what they could consider in deciding whether to approve a law school. Uh, moreover, statutory law was itself subordinate to charter rights. So that's a powerful argument. The decision was only about whether graduates would be fit to practice law and what would make them fit if they were competent and if they had the abilities and if they approached it lawfully, ethically, uh, they should not be prescribed. And since there was no evidence that uh, Trinity Western University graduates would not be fit, they said that the Law Society should have approved uh, the proposal. In their view, the dissenting justices view freedom of religion also protects the freedom to express religious views, for example, through this covenant, and to associate to study in an educational community, reflecting their religious beliefs. They also objected to the majority's reliance on charter values as distinct from written charter rights. Um, and relying on charter values to determine the limitations of their statutory mandates, the law society statutory mandates, which of course they very substantially extended beyond the very clear uh, limitations of the laws that were passed to establish these uh, uh, societies. Um, unlike the rights embedded in the charter, the dissenting justices argued, Charter values are ill-defined and can reflect merely the unsourced idiosyncrasies and preferences of the legal mind. I love that. <laughs> you know, the foggy legal mind. You know, that is uh, from the dissenting justices, but I'm also using uh, uh, the uh, sum summary of the case that is part of uh, what the Supreme Court has. Could be both of them, because uh, uh, it was a joint uh, uh, dissent, yes. Um, anyway, uh, these should not be imposed to uh, limit constitutionally protected rights. To do this violated the neutrality position of the state. They disagreed with Chief Justice McLaughlin as well, that approving the proposal meant condoning discrimination. For them, a state actor, like the law societies, accommodating a private actor, like Trinity Western, did not mean it supports the private actor's beliefs. If this were so, it would indirectly force private actors to follow the charter, even though the charter only applies to state actors. They noted that it was also in the public interest to accommodate different religious beliefs, as charter rights protected public, lawful, democratic participation of all citizens on their own terms, as long as they're lawful. For dissenting justices, the Law Society's decision seriously limited, not these were not minor limitations, they were serious limitations on the religious freedom of members of the Trinity Western University community, and they were therefore not reasonable, not justified. Okay, so 
That's the minority position, clearly presented and powerfully presented and very similar to the majority decision on the BC teachers uh, uh, case uh, just uh, a few years previously. Okay, I'm getting near the end now. I'm <laughs> uh, what are the implications of this? Well, you can sense from what I've said that uh, I'm very negative, and uh, evangelical Christians have been, for the most part, very negative uh, on this uh, ruling. Um, it's not just for Trinity Western, but for Canadian Christian, and not just Christian, but religious communities uh, and institutions and individual believers uh, through Canada. For and I, I've got the next thing here for starters. Uh, uh, what does this mean in terms of the jurisprudence that gave Trinity Western the right not only to have their own college of education, but there's nursing, uh, there's business, there's three or four uh, professional um, uh, training programs that have accreditation. Uh, this could very seriously uh, uh, reverse uh, the successful functioning of uh, uh, these uh, programs at Trinity Western University. Um, what about all the lawyers and law students who never went to Trinity Western and maybe don't know much about it, um, but who hold very similar values? Say, sincere traditional Catholic lawyers, of which there are thousands and thousands and thousands across Canada. What do they sense uh, is their practice of law now uh, proscribed because of equality rights? Do they have to be silent or their religion privatized? Do they have no freedom of religion and freedom of expression in the courts, in public space in Canada? It's a big question, and uh, there's a big fight right now uh, in the Law Society of Ontario. I don't know if, if it's been resolved or whatever, but in the uh, latest elections to the benchers or the executive of uh, the Law Society of Ontario, uh, there is a deep division between those that want to uh, continue down the path of uh, requiring lawyers through a statement of principles to subscribe to the effect of equality rights, promote uh, uh, inclusion, diversity, uh, and, and uh, that program, and on the others who argue that it's no uh, function of law societies to promote or require ideological or philosophic or religious positions as a part of their membership belonging to a law society. So there was a, a, an opposition. I don't know if the elections have been held, but it's indicative of what's happening within most of the major professional associations uh, in Canada, provincial level, federal uh, level now. Um, okay. What I see here is uh, also, uh, um, in negative terms, that this decision marks a major departure from legal precedent in ranking charter rights. Now, this was obviously a problem right from the beginning. 
Uh, I remember I was in Ottawa shortly after the 1982, and I attended uh, the cathedral in Ottawa, and uh, the speaker at that time was uh, a quite well-known Anglican uh, leader, um, uh, Gordon Robertson. No, was it Gordon Robertson? Gordon Forrest. Yeah, I think it was Gordon Robertson. Anyway, he was an Anglican, and he uh, was, I think, by that time, the head of the Canadian uh, uh, Civil Rights uh, uh, Association. Um, and he spoke very powerfully on all the virtues of the new uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Well, we all had tea and coffee afterwards, and I went down to the basement, um, and everybody was affable and quite willing to talk about this, but the place was stuffed with lawyers, Anglican lawyers, of all things. And um, Gordon Fairweather, I'm sorry, that was the guy's name. Uh, uh, he was the brother of Eugene Fairweather, who was a very prominent uh, uh, Anglo-Catholic theologian at Trinity uh, uh, Anglican uh, College at University of Toronto. Well, these lawyers, every one of them, I was quite fascinated by this, and I remember it clearly, every one of them were rubbing their hands. There is going to be so much casework in the equality <laughs> area, and they were all retraining for this now. I mean, their, their firms, their corporations, and everything else knew that this was going to be a gold mine for lawyers in the future, and they were certainly right. Um, Another factor here that I think is very troublesome is the failure to make distinctions between belief and behavior, uh, which was really foundational to uh, the Teachers College uh, case. Um, there is no evidence that anyone could find or anyone put forward that Trinity Western University graduates practiced discrimination, illegal violations of Charter of Rights and Dreams, no evidence whatsoever. So it's what they believe that really prescribes uh, their public, any public role based on their religious freedom. I mean, this is very, very uh, troublesome. Okay, I'm going to stop there and open it up to, uh, the, the, let's put this up again. The last thing, I've got a list of remedies and uh, what's been happening. For instance, just let me start this off and then we can open this up to discussion. What do Christians, evangelical Christians, like most of us, uh, do in cases uh, uh, like this? Now, I took our telephone in preparations for it. I telephoned my uh, good friend uh, at Trinity Western University, um, uh, uh, who's been a vice president there, Guy Saffold, it's not Saffron, it's Saffold, yeah, Saffold. And I've had dinner with him and met him and kept in touch uh, with him. What is Trinity Western going to do? Well, they went on uh, at the decision of their Senate um, uh, to make the covenant no longer mandatory, but voluntary for those wishing, if it ever got to it, uh, to be admitted to the law school. Now, uh, he said at this stage, no, they, are, they have a new president. They've had, as I've mentioned, a very successful fundraising drive. They have more students applying for it and high-quality students uh, than they've ever had. And at this stage, it's a period of rethinking, discernment, uh, and 
uh, in a sense, uh, figuring out what they're going to do uh, in future. But they are too tired, and they don't think the political or legal climate is uh, inviting right now, even with uh, making the covenant mandatory. It would be another big legal fight uh, with the law societies. And uh, uh, probably, the, he didn't say this, but uh, the political climate of the NDP government in BC is probably pretty hostile uh, to uh, force law faculty being established uh, um, in uh, British Columbia. So that's where the position is there. But they are willing to make a, a major accommodation for which they are roundly criticized for, uh, from a lot of their evangelical supporters. But uh, they're willing to do this, and in the long run, uh, uh, they may come back and uh, reapply uh, without a mandatory, uh, simply a voluntary covenant that I'm sure most of law students uh, from an evangelical background would be happy to subscribe to, rightly understood. So that's where uh, they're at uh, now. But these questions uh, are becoming really big issues in politics and the media and culture uh, in Canada. And uh, my sense is, from not being a lawyer, but having to master all the legal terminology here, that uh, one of the most important things we can do, and which is being done, is supporting the coalitions, the think tanks, uh, like the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, who's whose factums on all of this are, are simply uh, very clear and uh, very, I think, well-informed and full of legal wisdom and all of this. But coalitions like CARDIS is another one. Um, uh, I've got a list of uh, things here. Uh, and they can be very helpful because... Let's face it, most of us as individuals, mastering all this stuff would take years of, uh, and we're not going to be uh, trained as lawyers. Some of us want to be doctors and professors and, and just ordinary Canadians, too. Uh, th these are very, very complex but very, very important uh, issues. 